you to take your copy of God's Word tonight and find Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to look tonight at verses 1 through 8. And while you're finding that, I want you to know that I've come tonight to ask you to consider giving two years of your life following graduation to serve Christ somewhere in the world before you pursue your career in some other place here in the United States. Jesus said before he ascended back to heaven, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission is not given to uh, a few elite uh, spiritual commandos, uh, Christian SEAL teams, if you please, special forces. Certainly God does call some people uh, to go for a lifetime, to cross oceans and cultures and linguistic barriers and to go far, far away and, and plant some deep, deep roots in a place where there's very little gospel witness. I want to propose tonight that every one of you seriously and prayerfully consider giving two years of your life following graduation. Some of you are just a month away from graduation. Some of you will graduate in May. Some of you just your first semester, so graduation is, is uh, three and a half years out. But all of you, hopefully, by God's grace, will graduate someday and with a major in maybe pharmacy, it may be accounting, uh, it might be horticulture, uh, it could be any number of things, engineering, business, and you'll look for a, a, a job somewhere uh, perhaps in Birmingham or Mobile or Anderson or Atlanta or Nashville or somewhere here near, near home. Most of us are from the deep south. Probably most of you are from Auburn. I mean from Alabama. But I, I'm, I've come tonight to ask you, if you've not already begun to pray this way, to begin to pray beginning tonight for God to show you where he would have you to spend the first two years following your, your graduation in some form of kingdom service in a place where there's very little gospel witness. I, and I think here of our own homeland, I think of, of New York City where we have a number of Lakeview people who have relocated following their graduation to go and help some church planters out of our, our church there. And uh, they, they need help. They need other brothers and sisters and laborers to come alongside them. New York is a fascinating city. And uh, the good thing about wanting to go to New York City is uh, you don't have a visa to get there. If you're an American citizen, you just uh, get in your car and drive. It takes about two days. And New York is an alpha-plus city. There are only, in my estimation, only two of those in the world. New York is one, London is the other. There are a number of alpha cities, Paris, Dubai, Shanghai, uh, Kuala Lumpur, uh, Mumbai, perhaps others. But New York City and London, and I'm persuaded, are the most strategic places to do gospel witness in the entire world because the whole world comes to those two cities. Now, we have work in London as well. It's been slow going. We do have a Lakeview family there now. We have another relationship with an American family that we got to know in the last year or so who finally got some open doors to go into London. But that's a challenge to get there because uh, it's hard to get visas in there. But we just had one of our 
our Lakeview members, a single uh, man, what is he now, maybe 35 years of age, who, who's gone there. He's a pharmacist, and he's gone there uh, to London, and, and he, he got in for a year, and he's gone there to, to just bear witness to the gospel. So that's, that's the mandate that we have for the, from the Lord Jesus Christ. And over the course of this uh, fall semester on, on uh, Wednesday evenings, you've been talking about the church. And I know of no one more capable or qualified to speak to you about that than Brother Kevin. And uh, tonight we want to talk about the mission of the church. And, of course, the mission is it's, it's clearly and concisely spelled out in Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, the whole Bible is a missionary book from Genesis to Revelation. And when you learn to read with missionary eyes, you'll see that. Uh, but that's the concise, simple, declarative sentence of it found in the Great Commission. We are all called to go to take the gospel to the nations to make disciples. Now, I don't believe every Christian's a missionary. I don't think that the Bible teaches that. But every Christian is called to have a missionary passion, and if you're not called to go for a lifetime, you are called to send those who have been called to go. And I don't know of anything that will that will, that will enhance your missionary passion more than uh, to, to go, at least for, if nothing else, for, for a week or two weeks or a month or a semester or a summer. And uh, for the last, since our, in our International Missions Festival, they've been, there have been these two brochures back there on your table. I hope you... Hope you Take a look at these. Where will you go? These are summer uh, internships for next summer, and that's for the summer, and this is like for like a week or two right here. And so take a look at those and see where the Lord may uh, can use you this, this very next summer. But uh, the question is, who's going to go? And the answer, I, I believe, is found in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. What we have in this chapter is the account of the call of God to Isaiah to be a prophet. Uh, it happened in about the 8th century B.C. Uzziah was king. He'd been king for 52 years. And he died. And Isaiah had this encounter with God where he was called of God. There's a lot of help for us to think about who's going to go. Who's going to go for two years? Who's going to go for a lifetime? And uh, there's some answers right here for us. There are texts open to Isaiah chapter 6. Would you follow as I read? This is the word of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips." And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. My prayer for tonight has been that every one of you would say to the Lord, would hear the voice of the Lord saying to you, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And you will say to the Lord, Here am I, send me. Well, there are four stages experienced by Isaiah in this commission that he received from God in the 8th century B.C. Now, here's the question tonight, who will go? Who will go? Will you go? Will you go to the Muslim world? 1.6, 1.7 billion strong, headed to a Christless eternity? Will you go to the Buddhist world? Almost 500 million Buddhists, primarily in Southeast Asia, headed for a Christless eternity? Will you go to the Hindu world, over a billion strong now, mostly in Asia, Nepal, and South Asia, headed for a Christless eternity? Will you go to the Chinese world, 1.2? Four billion people in China, about 1.3 billion of them lost and headed for a Christless eternity. If you go to the, the world of secular Europe, it's not just post-Christian anymore. It was once the citadel of the Christian faith, the homeland of Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Spurgeon and Carey and Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley. It's not post-Christian anymore. It's pagan. Who will go and take the gospel to secular Europe? Well, first of all, I want you to see those who have experienced God's holy presence, those are the ones who will go. Until you have an, an encounter with God, a personal, life-transforming encounter with God, you're not likely to go even for a week, much less for two years or for a lifetime. Look again in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah saw God. Isaiah experienced God. And when he saw God, God was seated on a throne. He was high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. And now the people of God had lost their king. But there's another king who's still on his throne. And the Lord God Almighty is that sovereign king of the universe. Secular political rulers and kings and queens, and presidents, and prime ministers, and premiers, they come and go. But God rules supreme from generation to generation. He reigns from his eternal throne. He did then, and he does now, almost 3,000 years later. In verse 2, we read about the seraphs. Above the Lord, 
were seraphs. And each of these seraphs had six wings. Now seraphs were, they were burning, fiery creatures who attended to the Lord. And in no other place in the Old Testament do you find a reference to the seraphs except right here in Isaiah chapter 6. And notice the description that is given of these seraphs. Each one of these seraphs had six wings. Now, I've never seen a bird that had more than two. These were not birds. These are, these are holy uh, attendants of the Lord God himself. And they had six wings. And with two, they covered their uh, feet, of their faces, we see first. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And verse 3 tells us that they were praising the Lord. They were calling to one another antiphonally, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, or the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. They were worshiping God. They were praising the thrice holy God of Israel and of the nations. Now, God is holy. And he is to be praised as such. There are many attributes of God that are given for us in the, Holy, in the Scriptures, but I believe the one that is most distinctive and the one that is absolutely uh, superior, not superior so much, but just it, it just sets God apart more than anything else, is, is God's holiness. Because a God who is not holy is not God. And a God who is not holy is not worthy of our worship. A God who is holy is not worthy to go to some distant place and to plan our lives in a difficult situation, far away from family and friends and familiar surroundings and the creature comforts that we enjoy right here in Auburn, Alabama. A God who is not holy is the mere creation of the human imagination. A.W. Tozer was a, a well-known pastor in the mid-20th century, who, who served a, a church in uh, Chicago. I commend to you the writings of A.W. Tozer. You see a Tozer book in a used bookstore, buy it and read it. Uh, Tozer said, we must not think of God as highest in an ascending order of being, starting with a single cell and going on up from the fish to the bird to the animal to the man to the angel to the cherub to God. He says, God is as high above an archangel as, a, as he is above a caterpillar. For the guff that separates the archangel from the caterpillar is but finite, while the guff between God and the archangel is infinite. So who's going to go? It's not likely you're going to go until you have had an encounter with God and seen him in all of his majesty and splendor and glory and holiness. The question tonight is, who will go? Well, first answer is those who have experienced God's holy presence. I wouldn't try to go until I had an encounter, a life-transforming encounter with God. You'd be miserable. You're just going for an adventure because you like to travel, stay home. There's a second answer to the question, who will go? Verse 5. Those who have been broken by their own sinfulness. That was Isaiah's experience. He would, 
when he saw God in all of his holiness, he cried out in verse 5, Woe to me! Not woe to all those uh, immoral people, all those drunks, all those rapists and murderers and drug runners. He said, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. How did he know that? The answer is, latter part of verse 5, because he says, My eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. If you compare yourself with some streetwalker somewhere or some drug runner somewhere, you're going to look pretty good. But when you compare your life in the light of the holiness and the splendor and the majesty of our thrice holy God, you're going to see your own sinfulness. It's good for you to confess your sins. I'm glad to know you're doing that. Our God is holy. And when Isaiah saw God, he saw for the first time his own sinfulness, his own depravity, his radical depravity. He saw himself as a guilty sinner in need of God's cleansing. When we see God in, in his holiness, we will see ourselves in our sinfulness. And in Isaiah's case, he was gripped with despair and he cried out, Woe to me, I am ruined, I am undone. That ever happened to you? Did there ever come a time when you were in the presence of God and you saw God in his splendor and holiness and you saw yourself as sinful and guilty, unclean lips, unclean life? I want to tell you, if you have it, you may not be saved. Salvation is not a tune-up. Salvation is a complete overhaul. It is a radical transformation. It's not just asking Jesus in your heart and you still go bar hopping and trying to bed down people, watching pornography. You just deceive yourself. You think you're walking with God if you're living that way. Isaiah was broken by his own sinfulness. Until you're broken by your own sinfulness, don't bother to go. The question of the hour is this, who will go? We said those who've, been, who've experienced God's holy presence. We've said those who've been broken by their own sinfulness. Now, there's a third answer to the question. Who will go in verses 6 and 7? Here it is. Those who've experienced God's cleansing from sin. I mean, it's a terrible thing to be aware of your own sin and your guilt and, and live that way. Under the weight and the burden of your guilt, that leads to despair. God doesn't want you to live that way. He wants you to walk in the light. He wants you to experience the freedom and the liberty and the life of walking in intimate fellowship with him. So look in verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. Isaiah saw his sinfulness. He saw his guilt. But he experienced God's cleansing power. Now you and I can experience God's cleansing power 
only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. On the cross, Jesus suffered and bled and died as our substitute. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We give him our sin and our guilt when we repent and we put our faith and trust in him and he imputes to us, he, he credits our account as being righteous, as righteous as he is righteous. If you don't have that experience of experiencing God's cleansing and having your sin atoned for, it's not likely you're going you're, you're gonna to want to go. So who's going to go? Well, in Isaiah's case, those who experience God's holy presence, those who've been broken by their own sinfulness, those who experience God's cleansing. There's one more stage and one more answer to the question, who will go? Here it is in verse 8. Those who have heard God's voice and who say, here am I, send me. Those who have heard God's voice and those who say to God, here am I, send me. Look in verse 8. Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord. This is what God said to Isaiah. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me, God. I'll go. Choose me. I'm a volunteer. Sign me up. Oswald Chambers said, to be brought within the zone of God's voice is to be profoundly altered. The call of God is not the echo of my nature, but the express. Ex but the expression of God's nature. The call of God does not consider my affinities or my personality. It is a call that I cannot hear as long as I consider my personality or my temperament. But immediately I am brought into the condition Isaiah was in. I'm in a relationship to God whereby I can hear his call. So what God said to Isaiah, God is saying to all of us tonight, who will go? There's only two responses. One honors God and one dishonors God. We know which each one is. The only response that honors God is to say, here, my Lord, put me where you want me. Jim Elliott went to the jungles of South America. He was a college student at Wheaton College and took his family there and some other friends. You know the story, perhaps you've read through Gates of Splendor. He was uh, speared to death by Wadani Indians in the jungles. He and his five teammates. Taking the gospel to the tribe that didn't hear the gospel. Ultimately, their widows went back and shared the gospel with them, and many Christians among the Wadani now. It's a story you ought to read. Elliot uh, said uh, when he was uh, 21 years of age, he didn't say it, he wrote it in a letter to his parents. We are so 
utterly ordinary, so commonplace, while we profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with, that we are harmless and therefore unharmed. Let me just pause here and say, what was true around 70 years ago when he penned those words are basically true of the American church today. We are harmless and therefore unharmed. He continues, we are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in this battle to the death with principalities and powers in high places. We are sideliners coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. The world cannot hate us. We are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. May it be so, Lord. May it be said of Lakeview Baptist Church, and may it be said of the students, the college students who are part of this Lakeview Fellowship, that we are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. You know, this is a pretty extraordinary missionary fellowship here at Lakeview. You know that, don't you? By the grace of God, Hal Cooper back there gives outstanding oversight to our missions. Samuel back there, God's brought him to our staff to help us and others as well. But there is so much more God wants to do here. So much more. And God wants to use me and you. And so I'm going to ask you tonight to say to God, God, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I won't put any limitations on where I'll serve you. Even, Lord, I'd go to Tuscaloosa if I had to. That'd be the hardest place that I can think of to go. I was saved as a 10-year-old. Came off to Auburn 10 days after I finished high school. Began to walk in the fullness of the Spirit when I was a freshman. God called me to the gospel ministry midway through my sophomore year at Auburn. Back in those days, Baptist preacher boys went to Sanford. Some still do, but a lot of them went there back in those days. So midway through my second year, I transferred to Sanford University, which is a Christian school in Birmingham. And I was there three years. It took me four and a half years to finish out. I lost my ROTC credits from Auburn. Sanford didn't have ROTC in those days. May not have it today. So I graduated Sanford University December 1970. I've been reading the Decision magazine since I was in high school. It's the monthly publication of the Bittergram Evangelistic Association. And in the fall of 1970, there was an article in there about the Triennial Missionary Conference for University Students held, held every three years on the campus of the University of Illinois. I'd never heard of the University Christian Fellowship. I didn't know any Baptist ever heard of them, but I had a really good friend who was a bachelor 
just a few years older than me, pastor of a Presbyterian church in Gadsden. So I called Tom, and I said, what do you know about InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and what do you know about the Urbana Missionary Conference? That's what it's called, Urbana, because it's, the campus is in Urbana, Illinois. So he knew, he knew about it, and so he and I decided to go. So we drove through the night. I preached on Sunday morning, and we drove through the night. And for five days, morning, afternoon, evening, we listened to speaker after speaker after speaker lay out for us the biblical mandate to take the gospel to all the nations. And on the last night, on New Year's Eve, January, uh, December 31, 1970, in this vast basketball arena, about 18,000 students had registered for this missionary conference. The arena was full. The floor was filled with chairs. People sitting there. And uh, we went to midnight that night, and just at midnight, the speaker gave this challenge. He said, how many of you will say tonight to God, God, I'll serve you anywhere. I won't put any geographical limitations on my service for you. I'm, I'll gladly and willingly stay right here in the U.S. of A., but I'll just as gladly and willingly go anywhere you send me on the face of the earth. Now, think about this. I was 22 years old. I'd been reared in a Christian Baptist church. I mean, we were the kind of folks, if someone was going to the Baptist church, the Jacksons were there. We didn't miss nothing. I'd been involved in the Baptist campus ministry at Auburn University and in Campus Crusade for Christ, which is what it was called in those days at Auburn University. I'd been three years in a Southern Baptist University, and not one time had anybody ever, ever challenged me with the possibility that God might want me to serve him somewhere other than the United States of America. Never, not one time. I don't think I was goofing off. I think I was paying attention. I just don't think anybody was doing that. Three years I'd been a preacher boy. Still, it never happened. So I had a decision to make. And because there was just no room for people to come forward and make a decision, they, the speaker said, if you're willing to make that kind of surrender to God tonight, that you'll say, God, anywhere, anytime, place, would you stand? Count the cost, and if you're willing to do it, stand. And I counted the cost, and I stood. And I've never rescinded that commitment I made to the Lord 49 years ago. I'd, I'd gladly get on a plane to go to East Africa tomorrow. I love East Africa. I'd gladly relocate to London. I love London. But God's assignment for me was to come to Auburn. But God knows, I'm, I'm, just let me pack my bags and we'll go where you want me to go. You can't say Jesus is the Lord of your life if you put any kind of limitations on your service for him. It's impossible to say, yes, Lord, if, you, if, if in your heart there's, there's some, some res reservation. You can articulate those two words, Y-E-S, yes, and L-O-R-D, Lord, yes, Lord, but he's not Lord if you're not willing to go anywhere. I'm not going to ask you to stand tonight. It wouldn't be fair to you. And had somebody just come in 
willy-nilly. When I was where you were and 30 minutes later asked me to stand, I, I don't think I would have stood. But I'd had five days, morning, afternoon, and evening, to ponder this. And it was an easy thing, quite frankly, for me to say, yes, Lord, I will serve you anywhere. This is the challenge. In your heart, you may not need to, you may not need to say this out loud, but count that cost. And just say, God, anywhere for a lifetime. Surely you can go for a short time. You can be an accountant in Atlanta. You can be an accountant in New York City. A couple years ago, I thought one of our students was going to go to New York City and be a barber. Mom and Dad weren't too happy about it because he didn't come to Auburn to learn how to cut hair. It's a lot of money. You can go to barber college a lot cheaper than that. But he was so excited because he said, I got a captive audience all day long. <laughs> I love it. They're not going anywhere. They're in your chair while you're trimming their hair. They're stylists now, aren't they? Yeah, I guess so. I haven't been to a barber since 71. My wife cuts my hair. <laughs> Played a lot of money. So here how you sort it out. That's the challenge. My prayer is that many of you, when you come to graduation, you think about what you're going to do, you'll either leave the Deep South, go to Washington or Philadelphia or San Francisco or Chicago or New York City or some of those places where there's very little gospel witness. Or some of you will go to Asia in Africa, in Latin America, Europe, the islands of the sea, two years. I have in my hand here, uh, somewhere up here, I brought a Baptist press release that just came through yesterday. I know you all read it on your computers. I have a secretary that prints it out for old people. Both International Mission Board President Paul Chitwood, who spoke here a few weeks ago, and North American Mission Board Kevin Ezell, who spoke here back in March, have said we have enough money to send missionaries and church planners, but not enough qualified candidates to send. That's a change. A few years ago, we had candidates but no money. Now we have money but no candidates. Not enough candidates. So there it is. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. I'm just praying that everybody in this room tonight will say to God, Put me wherever you want me. I trust you. You are sovereign. You are wise. You are all-knowing. You're better in Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan in the will of God than you are in Auburn outside of the world. I didn't say you're safer. You may get killed. The will of God is not necessarily safe. Don't let anybody tell you that. That you're better off there in the will of God than to stay here out of the will of God. God has a plan for you. 
Scripture says in Romans 12, it is good, pleasing, and perfect. It's good for you. It may be dangerous, maybe deadly, but it's good for you. We need to find and embrace the will of God. God, our Father, thank you for letting me speak to these, these young men and women, my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the careful attention they've given tonight to the word of the Lord. And I pray, God, for myself again and for all of us in this room that we would honestly, with absolute integrity and full surrender, say with Isaiah, Here am I, Lord. Send me wherever you want to send me. That's where I want to be. For your namesake and your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.